You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM. This is The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margareta Dovegal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. This week's topic is the actionary principle, why we need to act now to get the results that humanity needs. Margareta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Wonderful to be here. Good morning. Right off the bat, what is the actionary principle? Well, it's a deliberate inversion of what many people call the precautionary principle. And let me explain that really quickly at first. Uh, the precautionary principle essentially suggests that we need to be really careful doing something before we have a clear sense of what impact those actions have. And it's a sound piece of advice. It's especially important when we're looking at especially challenging and risk-laden issues like a delicate ecosystem under threat or the approval of novel therapeutic treatments for different diseases. And messing up in either of these cases could have some real consequences, lasting consequences such as a species going extinct or suffering serious population losses or human beings uh, being hurt from a poorly designed or poorly tested prescription drug, even one that's meant to help them. And times where the precautionary principle hasn't been applied in cases where it should have been, there have been these sorts of impacts. Uh, there was a thing in the 1950s, uh, thalidomide. Uh, this was uh, given to pregnant women who were experiencing severe uh, morning sickness. And unfortunately, uh, hundreds, thousands of children uh, over a period of years were born with uh, fairly consequential, life-changing impacts. Uh, Some of them had uh, limbs that were shortened. Uh, Many children uh, died shortly after birth. It, It was a very, very challenging example of times where the precautionary principle should have been applied. And that's what we've learned. And that's why we have environmental protection agencies. Uh, as are known often in the U.S., and drug regulators that look really carefully at fully understanding the impacts of prescription treatment. Health Canada is a good example. Uh, but now for the precautionary principle. A uh, scientist friend of mine has uh, coined this term recently as a really good countervailing example uh, to all of the things that urge us to be careful and quiet. Sometimes that's warranted. Sometimes it might not be the best, best way to approach something. There are circumstances that really demand action and bold, decisive action at that. Slow and steady doesn't win it when the natural state of play is dynamic, rapidly changing, and trends towards clear or very likely outcomes, especially adverse ones that impact our ability to live peacefully, uh, prosperously, healthily. Uh, Take climate change, for example. It's here in space. We need solutions sooner rather than later. And that requires taking risks trialing new technologies uh, to capture carbon, to mitigate it by deploying everything we've got. That's the order of the day. And uh, if we don't know down to the minute detail how an intervention will play out, some situations warrant these interventions anyways. Mm -hmm. Got you. And what sorts of situations are those? Well, COVID was a really good one. I think in a general sense, Canada did remarkably well. Um, We did have There are many people right now who are struggling with the impacts of long COVID. Uh, We have some really clear economic uh, impacts. Uh, A lot of the challenges, the inflationary pressures we're seeing are good examples of uh, what impacts that had. Um, But COVID also laid bare some of the most startling inefficiencies, gaps, and weaknesses of our systems from taking scientifically informed decision-making and readily translating it to clear, consistent, public-facing directives. Uh, all the way through to supply chain 
scaling them up for uh, protective equipment and vaccine approvals and production. Uh, you know, it was kind of like the, the moon landing. Uh, vaccines were developed rapidly, the most intense focus uh, across the greatest scientific communities and production centers in the world. Um, but there were still some hiccups, and those hiccups have given us a lot to think about. Uh, we dragged our feet on some measures. Uh, you know, travel restrictions were brought in kind of late in Canada. I remember at the start there was a lot of mockery, you know, oh, no, we couldn't possibly do that. And then it became increasingly clear that uh, in the pre-vaccine era, uh, this virus was spreading really quickly, and countries that were able to move quickly, they were agile, they were adaptive, they understood that acting sooner rather than later, even if you didn't know exactly the results that your actions would have, was the right step to take. Uh, but there are risks, obviously. And climate, again, is, is a good one here. We're in an unseasonably warm fall, so warm and dry, in fact, that salmon right now are dying by the hundreds of thousands in B.C. river systems due to drought. Uh, nice and warm are also the perfect conditions for hurricanes and tropical storms. And that's been the case over the Atlantic Ocean as well. The east coast of North America has just experienced extreme weather events. Hurricane Ian has caused serious harm to Florida and South Carolina. Atlantic Canada was recently hit by Hurricane Fiona, and that left many in Nova Scotia without electricity for over a week. And unfortunately, several families lost loved ones. And, you know, further down south, their death toll from Hurricane Ian was over 100. So there's definitely situations where we need to do everything we can to act. So knowing that, what is a practical application of the actionary principle that Canada should consider? Well, I have a couple. And uh, these are the things that I spend most of my days thinking about. Um, you know, we need to massively, massively upscale the critical mineral production that enables us to electrify. So climate change, we know, is largely caused by uh, human emissions. So we're emitting carbon, methane into the atmosphere. Uh, that causes uh, average warming, uh, average increase in uh, global temperatures. Uh, we're about, uh, I think, a degree or so over the pre-industrial uh, norm. Uh, we also are on track to get to four degrees over pre-industrial times. Um, and that really messes up all the systems um, that govern uh, the atmosphere, the waters, um, life on Earth. Uh, and we still don't know perfectly how badly they messed them up, but we're starting to see the impacts now just at one degree. And, you know, one degree may sound like a low number, but uh, it's, it's one degree in an arbitrary uh, scale that humans have set. Uh, you know, a small tweak can massively change the livability of an ecosystem, uh, whether that's on land or in water. And if we want to do that, we need to rapidly, rapidly uh, shift upwards our uh, move to non-emitting sources of energy. And if we're going to be going in the direction of battery electric vehicles, there's a lot of stuff that Canada can do to help. Uh, we have tremendous resources. We have massive, massive uh, mineral and metal uh, reserves that have been proven. And one of the challenges that industries face in this space is getting these projects permitted and authorized. Government drags its feet. Uh, you know, get, getting, uh, taking advantage of the opportunities that have been afforded by some of the work happening by the Biden administration uh, should be the order of the day. They passed, uh, uh, the Congress has passed the Emissions Reduction Act, uh, sorry, the Inflation Reduction Act, and uh, that act has created massive, massive subsidies for uh, Canadian and North American produced batteries for electric vehicles. 
um, we won't be able to move forward on that if the 10 to 15 year timeline that is currently the norm for getting online approved isn't fixed. Um, we also see this um, in you know mines elsewhere in Canada, even ones that aren't producing critical minerals. Uh, that has impact uh, for local communities that are especially uh, reliant on large projects and a small number of them. Um, so we need to reform these systems. We need to have a focus on outcomes, not just ticking boxes. Uh, we also need to be looking at, as I sort of alluded to, new ways of capturing carbon. Uh, there's a lot of work that has been done and uh, continues to, to be really promising in leveraging the oceans. So biological systems-based carbon capture. Plankton is a really interesting thing to look at. Seaweed, different types of uh, aquaculture have solutions in mind for carbon. And that's a thing that I know we need to look at. We need to be willing to assess ways the precautionary principle has overly constrained our options. And then one more example I'll point to is uh, something really exciting that's happening in Kitimat, northern British Columbia. LNG Canada is the largest private sector investment in Canadian history, valued at $40 billion. And a lot of people are calling this our second chance at becoming a global leader in liquefied natural gas export. Uh, it's about 70% complete right now, and the idea is we will be shipping cleaner burning natural gas to markets around the world that are transitioning away from coal. And it's just the start. If we're able to take this project to a second phase, uh, we can really start to corner the market a little bit. Uh, you know, we're, we're certainly lagging behind many of the countries who've moved very quickly in this space. And we can also try to get other projects built, uh, both exporting from there and exporting, hopefully, from the east coast of Canada, because we do have resources that the world continues to need until we are able to fully make the transition affordably and uh, reliably to non-emitting sources of energy. We do need to ensure that we're at the table in this respect. Lastly, there has been some controversy this week over a UK-based power producer, Drax Energy, purchasing wood pellets from Canada. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I think there is an important conversation that needs to happen about how the energy transition plays out and what are the intermediate sources of energy that are used. Um, nuclear is a phenomenal end destination. I think as many countries as humanly possible should be shifting to nuclear. You know, if you're burning coal, you should stop burning it uh, in order to uh, generate uh, heat and um, electricity. Um, if your country is uh, using natural gas, make sure you're sourcing it from a place that is responsible. And if you're using wood pellets, that is biomass, um, that has, you know, uh, heat potential uh, to generate electricity, make sure that uh, you're capturing the emissions. And that's exactly what Drax Energy is doing. So they've taken uh, one of the UK's largest coal plants um, and massively retrofitted it. So they use wood pellets instead uh, as a source of, uh, of energy uh, to, to generate electricity, and they are capturing the emissions that come out of the smokestack. And the really exciting thing to me is that the vast majority of their uh, sources materials are what we would consider waste products. So uh, in British Columbia, we have massive sawmills across the province, and these sawmill residuals, sawdust, wood chips, bark, that are left over when the timber is processed, are being repurposed, uh, as is waste material collected from forests that would otherwise be burned <laughs> to reduce the risk of wildfires and disease. And that's the material that, uh, you know, this, this producer Drax is using. And in fact, 
it's so vital that um, they're able to produce 12% of the UK's uh, electricity in the renewables and, you know, secure electricity space, uh, and that powers millions of homes and businesses. And there was a documentary recently about this. I think it's important for people to ask questions and continue to ask those questions, but be willing to look at the full picture because we do have an ability to help many, many countries around the world transition their energy systems, and I think this is a great example of it. Margareta, thank you so much for your time. As always, we really appreciate it. You take care. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. Thanks, Karen.